It's not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Be afraid. Be very afraid. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? You must first face your fears if you are to conquer them. The only thing to fear is fear himself. Hello and welcome to Full Horror Show, a podcast where an animation nerd watches disturbing films while a movie buddy holds his hand. My name is Grant Letizia. And my name is Danny Clark. Here on Full Horror Show, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, especially when it comes to movies. Take horror films, for instance. People either love them or hate them, and that perspective often sticks for life. So you gotta wonder, can a non-scary movie person already set in their ways ever evolve into a true horror movie fan? Well, on this show, we're gonna find out. Each episode, Danny leads me through a classic horror or spook-adjacent film, and we just see what happens. The stakes are real. Either I'll become a braver person, and I'm actually going to be able to enjoy a scary movie, or I'll just give up and crawl back to my Disney safe space. Today on the show, we've got the legendary, iconic horror film, uh, Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. And this one is something for the books because I would say that Everybody seems to agree this is a classic, and I saw it for the first time, and that was really amazing. I mean, I think it's something that has been uh, a long time in your uh, repertoire for scary movies, Danny, as well, yes? That's definitely true. I've been dying to hear what you think about this, by the way, so I'm on like pins and needles over here. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, yeah, it's amazing. It's it's just such a great experience, I think, to see something that is something that you've kind of heard about for almost your whole life and never really seen it. So that's definitely kind of the the experience with this one. And of course, we'll break down all the specifics of what that was like for me after the break when we do spoilers. But um, first of all, I'm just going to give a few key points about the movie. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984, Wes Craven, directed and written by Wes Craven. So he did both. Uh, it was produced by Robert Shea. It stars John Saxon as Nancy's dad, Ronnie Blakely as mom, Heather Lagenkamp as Nancy, Amanda Wiss as Tina, and Nick Corey as Tina's boyfriend. And of course, there's Johnny Depp in there too as Glenn and Robert Eglund as Fred Krueger. Did you notice? I love how it says Fred Krueger, not Freddy Krueger on the, the titles. Yeah, he's Fred Krueger. I love it. The budget was just a very small million per Wikipedia. And then the box office was uh, ended up being 57 million. So clearly a good solid hit for a new line, which was very small studio at the time. And from things that you've said, sounds like this was really what put them on the map. First question to you off the bat is uh, why does Nightmare on Elm Street still matter in horror film history? Well, I think much like Hellraiser, when you walk through the video aisle and you see Pinhead on the cover, you see Freddy on the cover. You see the knives for fingers. And for me, this goes way back because I was actually four years old. I was at my grandmother's house for Thanksgiving one year. We used to have all the cousins come to her house and we'd do like a hayride. And I walked into a bedroom where all my cousins were watching a movie and I see Freddy with his knives for fingers. And it haunted me, man. It, it gave me nightmares, it scared the shit out of me for years. And I didn't want to go back to this movie. It wasn't until I think middle school when I started watching the Friday the 13th movies that I finally gave Freddy a chance. It frightened me to death. Watched it again in high school, watched it again in college. I got to say, watching it now, I've watched it twice this week. <laughs> I watched it once and then again with the uh, DVD commentary. 
and it wasn't nearly as scary. I think this movie matters in film history because what you said about New Line Cinema, Robert Shea, Bob Shea, uh, was running this company out of his apartment in New York, and he was basically buying up movies that had lost their copyright and showing them at colleges, uh, movies like Pink Flamingos. And so he started out as like an iconic cult film curator of sorts. You know, when this script had been shopped around by Wes Craven, Bob Shea had the vision for the film. He knew it was going to be a hit because it was such a great script. And I think what's so great about it is that Craven builds this story around a character who haunts people in their dreams. Much like the film we talked about last week with Hereditary, it's about the children paying for the sins of their parents. And what I love is what Craven does with the dream landscape, the dreamscape. <laughs> and all of that combined with Robert England's incredible physical performance. I watched the documentary uh, about the film and he talked about using old Westerns as an influence for his physicality and how when he would wear the hand, when he'd wear the glove with the knives, it, it had some weight to it. So he'd kind of lean that shoulder down and he'd kind of walk like a gunslinger would. And he also played with like the lights and made sure that his shadow was apparent in the shots. So it's like reminiscent of Nosferatu. It's reminiscent of old horror films. And it's also got this modern style to it. I just love all of the gags. I love all of the set pieces. I love all the deaths. <laughs> I love the way they built the suspense in the film. The music is great. The production design is great. I don't know if you knew this, but the production designer later went on to work on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It's just got such imaginative force to it. And there's so much incredible design. It's so meticulous. And it feels almost like techniques in animation where you're playing with the form, as it were. What's interesting about your experience was, I guess you you stumbled on the movie and saw parts of it. And then as far as I can recall, I've never seen any scene of it at all. Oh, really? You hadn't seen anything? No, I never watched anything from it whatsoever. And I don't even remember really seeing the cover. I just know that somehow I knew about it. So it stuck back there in my head as just this sort of bogeyman thing. It's amazing to me that through just the culture, basically, by osmosis, I was afraid of him, even having seen nothing about it at all. I don't have a Genesis moment where I remember when I got afraid of it. I just it was always there, basically, <laughs> as far as I know. When I think for me, maybe like my, my cousins were kind of obsessed with horror. And so it was around they were talking about it. They were much older than me. And so they were watching movies I couldn't see. And I think I rebelled a little bit when I was young and like wanted to see these movies. And so I'd ask my parents if I could watch them and they didn't want me watching R-rated movies and much less horror. But after a while, they kind of got tired of me asking. And so once I was in middle school, my mom would basically screen these films first and then she'd watch them with me and she'd fast forward the bad stuff. When I say the bad stuff, she'd really just fast forward the sex scenes. She'd she'd let the, the, the violence play out <laughs> you know, because then you'd be fast forwarding the whole movie. I also have to say, like, I love Wes Craven and growing up, Scream was another, you know, classic for me. I was really young when I saw that for the first time. The later Freddy film that he made, New Nightmare, was a meta version of the Freddy universe. It was basically all the actors coming back to make a movie about Freddy and then Freddy haunting them. So it was a movie about making a Freddy movie. And I just love the way that Craven plays with the form. Yeah, it just seems like for this movie, it's so iconic and such a 
big part of, I guess, the genre as a whole. It's just hard to believe that uh, I hadn't seen it. It almost feels as if it's if I somehow had seen it, even though I didn't. Maybe that's something that is uh, sort of unique to horror. I'm not really sure. I guess the protagonists have to be such larger than life people or creatures or characters that their personas, I guess, just jump out that much that people share them and talk about them or they just sort of infect the culture that much. I just think it's really interesting that the fear was there. That's a pretty strong thing, I think, for, a you know, just a film series to be able to do. Uh, and I think that's that's sort of unique, you know. So based on that, going into this movie, what were your expectations? Like, I don't want to know necessarily what you thought yet, but were you afraid walking into this one? Because I know you like talked about the adrenaline you had going into Hellraiser and some of the ones we've watched had your like spidey senses going. <laughs> like, what were you feeling walking into this one. Yeah, I think with this one, it's a uh, hard to say because those early memories as a kid were so buried and from so long ago. And also, I think I didn't necessarily have a bad experience. You said you had a bad experience because you got really shocked into it and you you did see something that made you feel afraid right away with him. I had a different kind of excitement, I think. It was mostly because I I was just it was hard to believe that this was such a a well-known famous film and I hadn't actually seen any of it at all. I guess that's that's the part that is still kind of neat about doing this even if, you know, I don't necessarily find horror to be my favorite genre. It's really interesting to realize that there's all these movies out there that have these very very famous widely known situations and characters and things that are happening and I haven't experienced it and so many other people have. It definitely adds something to it. I think it's kind of inescapable like the cultural impact that they sort of have. How it changes the viewing experience, uh, we'll talk about that more later, but going up to it, it just felt like it felt like I, I had some good anticipation. I wanted to have fun with it, and I didn't necessarily feel really that scared. So do you think you were excited walking into this one? It feels like you're going to go see like some really great sports teams play or something like that. You're supposed to be watching like the greatest hits of something. It's not a derivative. It's not a knockoff or a remake or something else like that or something totally unknown. It's like you're watching, I would suppose, a bona fide classic of some sort. And that's just an interesting thing to come up against because it's not going to happen a lot. You know, I mean, you can count on your fingers. It feels like all the different kind of famous horror icons. And he's definitely one of them, if not like the biggest one. I mean, what there's there's Freddy and Jason and Pinhead. And who else do we put in there? Uh, well, Chucky. Oh, yeah, Chucky. I haven't seen Friday the 13th or Chucky in any way either. I guess there's also like Leatherface, probably. Leatherface is definitely up there for sure. And and The Exorcist. I think the image of, of Reagan and when she's all dressed up in the makeup is definitely a haunting image of horror and of The Exorcist himself, like we talked about when he's standing in the shadows, uh, walking up to the house, that iconic shot. It is interesting what Barker said about pop culture and how these images are like burned into our brains from a very young age. I've been thinking about that a lot lately when we've been watching all these movies. And I think it's interesting too, that you compared it to like going into sports because I think it was Craven that said horror fans are a lot like sports fans. They're just as rabid and they're constantly cheering for the next big thing to happen. The big hit or the big moment and they they're just ravenous they just they want more of it and they keep coming back for it and franchises like this fit that perfectly that is a very good way of encapsulating the contribution that freddie has probably made to society i'm really excited to tell you what i thought about it in a lot more detail after the break 
I think you're going to be possibly a little bit surprised, Danny. And I think I'm honestly a little bit surprised too. So it's it's a, it's an enjoyable thing, I think. And it'll be really interesting to break that down. So we'll be right back and we'll talk about uh, what happens when Freddy comes to town. Welcome back to Full Horror Show. We're talking about... Uh, a Nightmare on Elm Street, the 1984 movie by Wes Craven. It's a complete classic, and I saw it for the first time, and Danny's just chomping at the bit to hear what I thought about it, and I am going to share all of that. But first, we have to just take a little bit of a break to make sure and let everybody know that after this point, there's going to be serious spoilers for the movie, so if you don't want to be spoiled, then you've been warned. Do not go any further. Listen to me very carefully. Look out! The spoilers are coming. If you see the spoiler and it tells you what the movie is before you watch the movie, everything will be ruined. The spoilers are there. Get down, get down, get your aftermath, Jamie. So, the official plot summary from IMDb, teenager Nancy Thompson must uncover the dark truth concealed by her parents after she and her friends become targets of the spirit of a serial killer with a bladed glove in their dreams, in which if they die, it kills them in real life. Which is way more uh, than I knew about the movie, uh, to be honest. I didn't know uh, if there was any sort of extra subtext or, you know, moral quandaries happening in this movie. And I guess there are. But for you, what do you feel like watching it again? And uh, what do you admire the most seeing it this many times? Honestly, this time it felt like watching Stranger Things. I think my level of excitement was so high. And earlier, before we started recording, Grant and I were talking about Stranger Things. He was playing some music from it. I reminded him that in this last season, Robert England has a great cameo, and I won't ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen that season, but please seek it out if you haven't. And there's a lot of similarities uh, in Stranger Things to Nightmare on Elm Street. And so this time watching it, I was super excited. There's a quote from Craven where he says, uh, people don't go into a theater watching a horror film to have fear put into them. They go into a theater to have fear taken out. I thought that was really interesting with some of the through lines we've been talking about through these scary movies and how they can be cathartic or they can be therapeutic for people or whatever. There's definitely some, some trauma, some family pain going on in Nancy's situation that I recognized this time watching it that I never recognized before. Her friend Tina is in a bad relationship with this guy, Rod. I mean, some people might not consider it bad, but he's kind of a dick, <laughs> you know, he seems like a tool. He totally does. Yeah. I think it's great how Craven sets us up in the beginning with these shots. of It's a tabletop shoot of Freddie building the hand. The opening scene when Tina is asleep and she's walking through uh, the Lincoln Heights jail, which was later condemned. And they said that it, ha it had asbestos everywhere. And Craven was talking about how the pipes had asbestos on them. And he was worried everyone was going to die like 20 years later after they shot. They shot in a real boiler room to have the steam look better. Oh, that was real? That was real. Yeah. Shooting with steam versus shooting with like smoke machines and how much better it looked. He gave a nod to uh, Boone Well with a shot of the lamb in her dream sequence and Tina's in the beginning of the movie, the lamb just like walks by the camera, which I think is kind of a strange homage. I mean, it's definitely, there's a lamb in Unshine and Lou, but, but uh, in this case, it just walks away and in Unshine and Lou does not walk away. I was anticipating the deaths. I remembered the deaths. I remember Tina's death the most because I think it's the most horrifying. Just imagine being in a house with someone to be awakened by the person next to you freaking out 
and not being able to wake them up and then them being dragged to the ceiling and ripped open and thrown onto the bed. I loved watching the documentary and finding out that the inspiration was Fred Astaire dancing on the ceiling in uh, one of those old movies. And they built a rotating set. You know, there's just some great effects, some great gags. I really admire Robert England and I really admire Craven's direction. And I think that the production design, the set design, the lighting, there's one more shot I'll mention where uh, before Tina's death, Nancy is sleeping in her bed and there's a crucifix above her and the crucifix falls off and lands in her in her hands. They bought spandex that they replaced the wall with and they had the effects guy Jim Doyle stick his face through it with his hands and they lit it so well that it looks like the face of Freddie coming down over Nancy and going back. That shot is fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. So I think I was just in awe of the craft. I know I talk a lot about the process, but that's what got me going this time. So like for a movie to have scared me to death as a kid, given me nightmares as a kid, a movie I thought was scarier than the exorcist as a child now does not scare me anymore. I just really admire it. What did you think? I'm dying to know. I felt like this was not scary at all to me personally good okay did you like it i think that this was a, a fun movie <laughs> <laughs> well i'm glad you had a good time with it yeah yeah, yeah. i think that freddy's a goofball and it seems like this is a serious case where the aura around the film was a lot bigger and what was in my head was a lot more frightening than what it was ever going to be in the movie too much hype too much hype yeah, I don't even know if I'd call it hype because, like I said, I had a legitimate fear of it without seeing it. So that was that was something that was maybe warranted. But the acting and the lines were just a, on the, a tad on the cheesy side. And it had this great sort of um, sort of loose 80s vibe that just didn't seem that self-serious. And I picked up on that immediately. And I just don't I don't know what it was other than uh, I could tell when the jump scares were going to come. And they weren't that intense. And in general, maybe the fantasy aspects just caused me to be more relaxed or something. But whatever this was in general, man, I watched this and I was not spooked at all. <laughs> I felt like it was it was very amusing at times and I enjoyed it. It was it was really good, which I'm sort of surprised by because that hasn't always been the case with these. Well, I'm glad you liked it, dude. So, I mean, tell me some of the things that stood out that you liked the most. Like if it was fun, it wasn't scary. What did you appreciate about it? This whole movie seems like it's completely driven by Nancy's character making conscious decisions to fight back and to do something to make herself more powerful, which I felt like for me was very empowering um, to watch because I felt proud of her. And even though she was in a dire situation, I admired her bravery and her tenacity and sticking with it. So that gave me hope that if she was going to do that, I was going to be on the same trip with her and and root for her essentially the whole time. It really gave me something, I think, to hold on to emotionally. So that definitely, I think, helped me get through any parts that might have been a little bit spooky. But the way that it was directed, the way that it was shot, it was so pretty. And the way that uh, the cinematography worked with the lighting and the color and everything, something about it just kind of seemed very idyllic. That might be the thing that sort of changes it the most for me. It has spooky moments, but not something that I felt uh, held down by. I love the fact that it was so whimsical and everything could change and it kept changing all the time and you really couldn't rely on like logic necessarily. 
for me, that felt actually kind of fun and didn't seem like disturbing in any way. Well, and this movie definitely has camp in it. Like, you know, in terms of like it being an exaggeration of the genre, I think that like Freddy's one liners, when he says come to Freddy, there's just great one liners in it that kind of take me out of it and make me laugh. Now, I don't really know why it scared me so much when I was younger. I think now I'm desensitized and I was just too young to see a movie like this because it is very violent. I mean, Johnny Depp getting ripped through the bed and buckets of blood flying up to the ceiling. Like, what did you think about those those shots? Did you like those uh, the deaths, the gags and all the all the violence? What do you think about that? The only thing that I wasn't going to mention in the first half, because it's sort of a spoiler, was I unfortunately I did know about Johnny Depp's character's death. This is somehow the only thing that I knew about. Okay. The reason I knew about it was because I like visual effects. And at some point I had read a blurb or something that basically described what happens to his character and the resulting work that was done for the VFX. So I knew that he died. So regrettably, that was something that I kind of knew was going to happen. It's like, oh, Glenn's not going to last long whenever this happens and he's going to get sucked into the bed. I knew that much. But because of it, I guess I sort of was anticipating it some. So it didn't have necessarily a shock to me. But I didn't know about um, the Tina character's death. And that was pretty crazy to see. I I like the way that they did it. Um, I guess, again, because maybe it was so fantastic and just she's being lifted up on the ceiling as it happens i don't know what it is maybe that that sends it to the weird part of my brain where it it goes well that's not that could never happen because that's not real so i don't get as spooked by it well it's interesting you say that because i i don't want to derail too far but like evil dead freaked you out evil dead scared you and it is a scary movie so i just i'm curious the difference in in the two, because I felt like watching rewatching Evil Dead, it does have a lot of that camp. It does have a lot of that cheese, but it's also really violent. Is it because of the stakes? Is it because more people die? Is it because they're demons and they're like possessing people in, in Evil Dead versus in this? It's one guy coming after them and it's so seemingly implausible for someone to kill you in their in your dreams. I guess it is the fantasy element then. Is that what you're saying? That that makes it seem more unrealistic and less scary? To me, yeah, maybe that's what it is. I mean, Evil Dead also had some pretty well done suspense that I just wasn't sort of prepared for. I'm not going to say there aren't parts of this that aren't suspenseful. I guess it just kind of, for me, almost felt like it fulfilled more of a, um, more of something that I guess I saw coming. For whatever reason, the jump stairs didn't get me and there wasn't as much attention for me again this time around. But I do think I enjoyed it on a very same level with Evil Dead. So I think that's actually a really good comparison. I have to just hold on for one second here because we actually do have a sponsor. So I really wanted to work this in here. But obviously, we'll be right back after this really quick break. Hey, do you feel tired all the time? Do you want to stay up and watch your analog TV on your crotch? Do you prefer not to have spooky figures take over your dreams? Then it's time for Never Sleep, the energy drink that makes you see between worlds. The dream world, the real world, the sea world, the Lego world, the Barbie world. You may even want to set up Home Alone traps in your bedroom. Caffeine and crack had a baby, and that baby is Never Sleep, the energy drink for jittery teens who are afraid of getting killed in their dreams. If you thought that's a very specific demographic, you'd be right. Did your mom put bars on your window? 
Smash them metaphorically because this won't make you stronger. It will only make you more observant. Stay alert for possibly years. If you experience hot flashes, seizures, restless leg syndrome, good because it's working. Winners don't sleep. Winners are lit. Set fire to your brain with all natural beta creatine omega 3. Set fire to your house, but don't burn it down. Never sleep is made from small batch organic barrels of sweat from the world's greatest TikTok influencers. Hallucinations aren't from the drink. It's because you don't have sleep. Never sleep lest you see into the future. Imagine the shroud of your own death. You can stay up all night and won't feel like shit. You can do anything you like and don't give a shit. Have more time in the day because you won't be able to shit. Drink never sleep and your eyes won't close. Enjoy more sights and sunlight because you can't blink. Enjoy having no fear because fear requires self-reflection. And that shit is low energy. You'll be so awake you can outsmart Freddy. You'll be so smart you can outwit Newton. Open a wormhole with your ultimate alertness and fuck Freddy and Newton in a three-way. Cut out that sleepy time shit. Get never sleep today. <laughs> in a three-way. So yeah, support our sponsor and definitely buy that product because it's a good one. I hear. I don't know that I want that product. I think it's very effective and everyone should should use it. Okay. So my fear management for this film, I will say coming back into this discussion about Freddy and uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street is that I didn't watch it on my big TV. I actually watched it on my computer. I'm not sure if that changes things, not necessarily. Um, And I just kind of leaned back in my chair and had a sort of a casual viewing in the daytime. I didn't have a blanket this time. I didn't hide my eyes. I just I guess part of it was I was so curious about this character and about what people had been seeing all these years. It was almost like the curiosity was too much. And that's really what sort of drove me through the whole thing was I just wanted to see what the hubbub was about. Well, and I think another thing that I noticed this time watching it is the ending doesn't make any sense. I mean, no sense at all (laughs) because she turns her back on Freddy and he like disappears as he falls to her and her mom got like sucked down into the bed. But then the next day, it's all like foggy outside and the mom's alive and all the friends are in the car and she gets in the car as if it's like a dream almost. And she like gets in the car and they drive off and the, you know, the top the hood of the car has the the same stripes as the as the sweater. Um, and the kids are doing the jump rope thing, singing the song. And then mom gets sucked through the <laughs> fucking door of the house. The doll, the doll goes through the little hole in the door. Didn't you say, though, and it's covered slightly, at least in the first hour that I watched of that documentary, that Robert Shea, the producer, was primarily the driving force between him, uh, Craven, that is, and some of those changes. Well, yeah, the story was he wanted a hook. He wanted a hook to have to make this into a franchise. And and Craven had never wanted to do that. He never had any intention of making sequels. And so there was a little bit of a conflict there. Craven has said in interviews that I've watched that he would not have been able to make this film if it weren't for Robert Shea. That he would not have had the vision. No one in Hollywood wanted the script. Nobody thought it would be scary. Shay was the only one who had that. So he's very appreciative of it, but they did have conflict on set over several things. And that was one of them. And that dummy getting sucked through the window or pulled through the window by Freddie is so stupid. I don't think I ever noticed that when I was a kid, but like that ending just doesn't make any sense. It's fine. Robert Shay just wanted a hook of some kind and he got it, but I don't think it was necessary. I think it would have been fine to just have Nancy get in the car and have the Freddie stripe hood of the car close and then just end on the shot of the girls jumping rope. I think someone said that in the documentary too, that like that was Craven's real ending was the girls jumping rope. 
not to be um, cynical about it, but I kind of expected something like that at the end of these type of movies anyways. I was sort of thinking, well, I'm sure that this this character is not really mortal. So, you know, I mean, I guess if he was already burned, burned once, uh, then sure, he can come back and do that again. And really, there's probably not a lot you can do to really stop this, which, by the way, that was sort of a twist for me was I was very surprised to see that there was any type of morality play happening with the uh, vigilante parents that address the Freddy Krueger problem on their own. I thought that was very interesting that that was part of the story and that was the way they chose to make that happen. Because one thing that I did assume before seeing it was that maybe the Freddy Krueger character was somebody who was just this mild mannered person like the Joker, some nerdy person who accidentally got burned in a house and then all of a sudden they're crazy or angry or something like that. Like because they had something bad done to them and but they didn't deserve it. I think it's really interesting that he was already doing terrible things and then basically had people wreak their vengeance and their justice on him. And yet he's still able to come back. That was, a, I guess, a level of depth that I didn't expect. I think Craven brings that to the stories that he writes. You know, I think Robert England talks a lot about the battle of good and evil between Freddie and Nancy and how she is just this pure, innocent child and Freddie is just pure evil. And so I'm with you like that, that scene when the mom is next to the uh, furnace down in the basement and she's showing Nancy the glove and she's describing what they did. You know, there were echoes of that. There were little nuggets of that earlier in the film when they were at the funeral uh, scene and she mentions a man with a hat and, and she mentions the things that are happening and her parents like give each other glances like they know what she's talking about for audiences at the time who didn't know Freddy Krueger and hadn't seen the franchises play out. Like, I think that's really effective storytelling. I think that context really helps to drive the story home. Um, and you'll see that when you watch a movie like Scream. I think all of these characters that he creates have a reality that is grounded, that allows the, to quote Barker, the, the, the fantastique to come alive and take you there. And, and it, and it works really well. It sets the stakes in a way that other films don't. And in the documentary, they kind of come down on uh, Friday the 13th and Halloween a little bit because they talk about how Robert England was not just a stunt man with a mask on. He actually like had lines and he brought life to the character and they tried to replace him in the sequel and it wasn't working. And so he ended up coming back and he was Freddy for the entire franchise. And I think Robert England just brings this physicality and this energy to the character, he does it in a way that is comedic, but also scary. It's just really effective. I love, I love Robert England so much in this movie. Like that's what was so fun to watch it. By the way, speaking of him, there was one part that made me really laugh during Tina's scene in the beginning of the movie, when they stretch his arms out with like, it was basically two guys with fishing poles in the garages of this Venice alleyway which is a really cheesy shot, but Craven says that it was effective for audiences back then. I don't know. When I saw the arms go out like a puppet, I was like, okay, whatever. The next shot is him chasing after her, and he looks like four feet tall. Did you notice that shot? <laughs> when he's running, he looks so little. It was just, I was like, oh my God, it's hilarious. Here's what I think is hilarious about it. I mean, you said already that, you know, he does it with a little bit of humor and character, which is definitely true. I mean, I think, though, once I realized the threat level that we were at, I mean, I was not intimidated. 
even though I know he looks terrible because he looks like pepperoni pizza and everything. That was a funny bit of information that they said that the makeup guy got inspired by pepperoni pizza and cheese. Um, his looks are terrifying, I think. But man, the way he acts for me as a first time viewer of it, he runs at you like this and then he kind of just bear hugs you and falls to the ground. And then they're like rolling around, but then he like pulls his face <laughs> off. Well, I know they sort of cover that by saying, well, he wants to toy with them, mess with them. I OK, that makes sense for me as I guess a first time viewer of it. I guess I was thinking if he gets to you and then it's not an immediate like insta kill or anything, it sort of took the I guess the the scary factor down some because it just seemed like he was messing so much and was such a goof. There's some really like weird stuff that he does when he chops his fingers off and looks at Tina and he's just like, ha, 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 you know, like it's just he's goofy. He does weird shit. It was like Looney Tunes. It is like Looney Tunes. I don't know. I'm just saying I really think that Wes Craven is great now. Like, I'm a, I think I'm a fan because I like the way that he seems to set up his shots and he lights them and does everything. I just really like the way that the movie looked. It just seems as if, though, when you combine these things like the really great production design and how it looks so cinematic and and awesome. But then when it comes up against almost that tone that is kind of goofy to me it just almost felt like roger rabbit in a sense and i was looking at judge doom and i was like i can't take this guy really that seriously oh dude judge doom <laughs> is a great comparison for freddie i love that i think that's perfect he just seemed like a cartoon character a little bit to me which again it doesn't mean that you can't be scared of him if somebody you know like you were or maybe like i was without seeing it what I'm trying to do is, is say I'm giving myself a little bit of a uh, of a pep talk and a, and a chip on the block there again, because kind of like Hellraiser, I feel like I watched this and it wasn't as bad as I thought. So I'm like, OK, I'm hopefully progressing in the right direction. There's a bleakness and there's a darkness to movies like Exorcist and even Possession and Hereditary that we've discussed uh, even off the podcast, just off me and you talking about it. And in this movie, there's a lightness to it within how dark it is. And I think that that 80s vibe, like, I don't know what it would have been like at the time to have seen this in the theater as a teenager, if it would have scared us or we would have laughed. I'm sure it was a blast to see it with a live audience in 1984. I know my cousins loved watching this movie over and over again because it was representative of them, of, of teenagers at the time. And Wes Craven even went to like a local high school to sit in on an English class and see what they would be reading. And in the scene when Nancy falls asleep in the school, in the classroom, the kids reading Hamlet. That's such an effective scene. We don't know if she's in Freddy's dreamscape or not. She nods off and then we see a body bag of Tina. And then we see Tina get dragged by the lockers with no one there. There's some really nice effects shots that I think still hold up and make it creepy and give it that vibe without necessarily using jump scares. I think like in a scene like that, it's grounded in this reality. He gives you rules when she burns herself on the boiler and then she comes out of the dream and she has the burn. They bring these wounds with them outside of the dreams or when she brings the hat out of the dreamscape, she realizes that if she brings him out of the dream, she can somehow kill him. Mm -hmm. I just think that all of that makes it really fascinating. And I think that adds to the fantasy element and it adds to the complexity of the characters and the stakes and all of that. It's a fun movie, man. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Like, I can't wait for you to see more. I think you need to watch Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors is fucking rad. It is so much fun. I love that movie. One more note about the subtext of Freddy before we move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems like one of the major themes that's underlying the whole thing is what the kids believe and what the parents believe and what the parents say and then what the kids experience. And 
that is a really strong message that I don't think has really changed no matter how many years go by, because it's really hard to be, I think, a kid uh, today, just like it probably was hard back then. And it doesn't really seem like that's something that uh, is is probably going to change very much. Like there's just all these all these challenges that the young kids got to go up against. And I think that's just a, a major theme of the film trying to explain how things are and what you're seeing or experiencing. And then, of course, you know, none of the adults believe you. It's really well handled in this movie. And I know sometimes that can still be a theme in other films that involve scary things like nobody believes that the ghosts are real or other stuff. But it feels really different when it's, you know, adult to adult or peer to peer. But when it's definitely all the teenagers are experiencing something bad and none of the adults believe them. I mean, there's so many parallels to, you know, society and culture that you can you know draw all the lines that you want but it just feels like something that's true so it hasn't aged at all i would say absolutely i totally agree with that and a lot of his films deal with that kind of thing um i started watching last house on the left i realized i hadn't actually seen that one i need to finish it um and it's got two teenage girls in it um you know scream of course is like i can't wait for you to watch that one because it's everything you're describing right now it's perfect for uh you know like the teenage experience and modernized into the 90s i'm a lot more excited i think to watch scream now then because of how this movie was i feel like if i had to make a guess it's probably going to be similar i don't know absolutely totally is yeah are you going to want to watch the rest of the franchise do you want to watch more freddy's after this i don't know if if craven isn't in charge of him i'm not really sure about that well remember he did new nightmare but you have to get through a bunch to get to that and honestly you could skip some of them you know you know whatever you know what i think is interesting is i love how it feels like there's a, a dueling shout out happening in this movie between Wes Craven and Sam Raimi because Sam Raimi has a poster for the hills have eyes and then there's an evil dead clip in this movie isn't there yes and craven mentions it in the dvd commentary he said they're friends and that was a, they were both nodding to each other yeah i love that that's so great how they found a way to work the two movies in because it's like they're finding a way to i don't know bounce that pinball off of each other and that's really interesting to me i mean i haven't seen his earlier movies so obviously you could talk a lot longer i'm sure about those but i think coming in at this point uh, i'm definitely a fan of Wes craven i would say Nice, man. I'm glad. I mean, I was worried. I, I'm we were going down a dark path there for a minute, and I'm glad that I brought you back in with the with the 80s fun, you know? Yeah, I don't know what to say. It's just it's like it feels the same as Evil Dead to me. And it feels like kind of a nice, comfortable spot where uh, I don't know. It, it I feel good about the tone and good about everything that seems like it's that's happening, at least in this movie and in that movie. So if that's any indication of maybe what I sort of can handle and what I like, you know, that's interesting. But now, you know, we should do uh, a little bit of homework at the end here just to make sure that we cover the bases. And that homework is not really true homework, though, let's be honest. We're both looking forward to this. Basically, in this experiment of the full horror show podcast, we have watched seven movies. Seven movies that are, as I say in the intro, either horror or horror movie adjacent. And the first one we watched was The Evil Dead, right? I think so. That's right. Um, right now, what I'm thinking is I'm going to put that at number one. Oh, wow. Okay. I like it. That's a good choice. Well, actually, no. No? Um, <laughs> <laughs> My excitement made you move uh, it down. I think, no, actually, <laughs> I'm going to... I'm going to have it at two. I think what happens is Mandy goes at number one. Ooh. Evil Dead is number two. And then I put I put uh, Nightmare on Elm Street at three. 
Possession at four. Hellraiser under it at five. And then we followed up with number six is Exorcist and number seven is Hereditary. So let me just, I think, think just to give a, a tiny blurb maybe on my reasoning for each one and make sure that I'm good with this before I lock it in. So my number one, I think, of all of these that we've seen is Mandy. Because it's just a really great movie. It has everything. It has Nicolas Cage being crazy. It has spooky stuff that's kind of crazy. But as we talked about, it gives you these good feelings. It has kind of just everything. It's it's almost like, for me, the penultimate full horror show movie for kind of the two of us. It seems like I could rewatch that movie or parts of that movie, I feel like, any time. And I always get something different out of it. It's just such a great one. Uh, so then I'm, I'm good with that at number one. Number two is evil dead because I think that one is really great. And it's hard because I think it's almost kind of a tie between evil dead and, and nightmare on Elm street. They're, they're pretty close. I don't think there's like a huge separation. Oh, that's interesting. I'm just saying that's a good close two and three. You know what I mean? Cause I feel like they kind of are in the same spot, the same zone as we talked about today. I like, I like maybe the cheese and I like the, the eighties vibe, the tone. Yeah, neither one of these scared me that much with the tone, and I was good with that, so uh, that's what I like. Again, my list is probably for my pure enjoyment of these things, probably not necessarily for you know um, the argument of what maybe is a greater movie or masterpiece per se. I think I'm, I would look at my rating as, what did I enjoy the most, you know? Uh, for, I'll put Possession at four. I mean, I really did like Possession, but it's also, it's also so out there and weird. It's, it's harder. It's harder to have it higher for me as a, as a solid, like, yes, like, you know, that I'm like gonna get behind. I mean, I do like so many things about it, but let's, it's, it's niche, right? Hellraiser. I wish I could have Hellraiser higher, but I still like Possession more than Hellraiser and Hellraiser wasn't my least favorite, but man, it's still extreme. And I still think that's the scariest one I've probably watched just in terms of the actual visuals of it. Oh, so you actually think Hellraiser is scarier than The Exorcist. That's interesting too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think so in the way that in the way that it worked. But then but then listen, I'm going to put keep these down here. Exorcist is 6 and Hereditary 7. I mean Exorcist is a masterpiece, I think for sure, like, you know, several of these, but at the same time, I think the common factor between Exorcist for me and Hereditary is there's an oppressive tone that is very like exorcist made me just kind of feel uh, oppressed. And then hereditary just straight up made me depressed. <laughs> so uh, I guess in terms of the way that it sort of made me feel afterwards, like I, that's how I look at my ranking anyways. It's like Mandy made me jazzed and, you know, evil dead and uh, Freddie were kind of exciting to watch and had their good parts. Possession was, was crazy. And yeah, you kind of just go down the line like that. All right. So what about you? That's a solid ranking, dude. I mean, I'm actually kind of jealous the way you did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and you're making me rethink mine a little bit. Okay. So no, just talk me through it and we'll move them around if we need to. All right. So exorcist is number one for me. Okay. Um, and mainly because I'm not just saying that because it's a masterpiece because it is, but I do think it's one of the scariest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is full horror show. Um, I also really love the performances. I think it's emotional. I think it's sad. And I tend to lean into the bleakness and into the darkness. And I want something to scare me. And I want something to you know unsettle me. And I think that's something we've noticed in talking outside of the show. That you don't like to be quite as unsettled or as upset 
And uh, anytime the characters are truly suffering and you are suffering while you're watching it, 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 it it's hard for you. So like, I can appreciate that. Yeah, it messes with me. I like that. <laughs> so um, two is Evil Dead. So we're the same there. Oh, look at that. That's because it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It just it's fun. I love Raimi. I love the camera. Everything we talked about on that episode. I had a great time with it. Rewatching it. I could watch it every week. Don't care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> three is Mandy. Basically the same reasons for Evil Dead. Um, I could rewatch that movie every week and uh, find something new. Although I think I admitted this, the, the first half is tough for me. I would watch it every week if I could just start at him forging the weapon and fighting them for the rest of the movie. <laughs> now that I don't like the first half, it just it makes me sad. Next would be uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. OK, so four. So uh, kind of similar with you. Uh, not that far off. Uh, then I would put possession, actually. Five. OK. Because it surprised me and I really loved it. I thought it was great. And I want to rank it higher, man. It, it's that third act. It's the end that just doesn't make any sense and gets so bonkers and weird. But that's fun, too, at the same time. Well, then switch it with something. I don't know. No, 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 no. I think it had such a good tone. I, I was really surprised. I think it's a solid spot for it. OK. Um, next would be Hellraiser. And then last would be Hereditary. And Whoa. to all the Hereditary fans out there, nothing against Hereditary. I just have more fun with these other movies. I I enjoyed analyzing Hereditary. I just think that it's a little bit more complex. And while I can appreciate that and the art of it, uh, these other movies just get me going. You know, I enjoy them more. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting comparison. Uh, do you want to read the comparison one more time for everybody? OK, so of the movies we've watched so far, what I got on my list is my number one's Mandy. Two is Evil Dead. Three is Nightmare. Four is Possession. Five, Hellraiser. Six, Exorcist. And seven, Possession. Or seven, Conjuring. Wait, no, shit. Hereditary. Seven, Hereditary. Danny, <laughs> Danny's list. Number one is Exorcist. Two, Evil Dead. Three, Mandy, four, Nightmare, five, Possession, six, Hellraiser, and seven, Hereditary. So the the places that were the same is we both think Evil Dead is pretty good because it's up there. And then we both have Hereditary at the lowest spot. And then we kind of were in the middle with the others. I just have Mandy ranked higher than you. Um, and Hellraiser is even kind of in the same spot. You just you really like The Exorcist and I just don't as much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really the main discrepancy there, because yeah. if you look at it, they're pretty similar side by side. Um, so I have another question for you before we wrap. Uh, uh -huh. You mentioned last episode that you wanted to watch Friday the 13th and or Freddy. Mm -hmm. My question for you is now, what are you interested in? I don't think it's changed. I think I would like to sort of do these iconic movies because it's a different feeling not being as I just don't know if I'm ever going to feel as afraid going into a movie as I was for Hellraiser. I just think that may have been a high watermark and that's fine. I don't know if I need to have that again necessarily. I really like watching, I guess, some of these movies that are so famous for the first time because it's kind of a trip because it makes me feel kind of like I'm getting nostalgia in reverse. I don't know how to describe it. It's really weird. You're getting your horror merit badges. Yeah, it looks like that. It really feels like I have a I have a vest of these buttons and I'm trying to gather them because I'd like to see what Chucky's like and um, what Jason Voorhees is all about and these other ones now. I think if if they're anywhere similar to this, I, I mean, I wouldn't have said this before, but I guess maybe I don't mind the slasher genre if that's an indication of what it is. 
because it seems as if it's if it's on that side of things i don't i don't necessarily mind that well i don't want to give away what i'm thinking for the next episode but uh i do have one in mind that is quite iconic and i think that you want to tell me what it is <laughs> i do want to tell you i'm going to tell you offline but i don't want to commit to it to the show right now so unless you want me to just say it i already have it in mind i've been doing research just say it what is it i think we need to do texas chainsaw massacre next oh i'm not opposed to the idea so you're getting me on a good day <laughs> by saying that <laughs> i'm wondering if your anticipation of fear will be as high on that one obviously if that happens there will be plenty of discussion around that but yeah i think from from an early just take i would say so it sounds pretty good <laughs> that's definitely not a no uh but yeah i mean here's what i like about it is if if i can get hooked on this idea that it's something that is well known enough therefore worth doing well, we've also talked about peppering in modern stuff because we both enjoyed doing mandy and it's a lesser known movie and i think that our audience probably enjoyed that episode so doing stuff like uh, nicholas winding reference neon demon or ben wheatley's kill list are things we've talked about as well um so i definitely want to like try to do more modern stuff but i i like doing these classics with you it was fun doing freddy so i'm with you man and I wouldn't be opposed to watching sequels for the record. Like, I think that would be amusing at this point now. Like, again, if this is any indication of sort of what it's like in general, and I know it isn't always, especially if there's a remake or something like that. And we talked about that a little bit with Evil Dead, because I don't know, isn't wasn't there wasn't there a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street at some point? Oh, I mean, there's like eight of them. Yeah. OK, so whether or not those actually, you know, fit in line or are the same tone, I'm sure that varies but i mean if if it is any sort of consistency then you know i'm i'm uh i'm a bit more willing to try than before which is which is cool so that is our ranking of all the movies we've seen so far and that is also gonna do it for our talk about uh, nightmare on elm street i think it was a fun movie and i mean considering the fact that i get pretty easily spooked by things i think you know i think it says something about just the way that they handled this one and and i appreciate that so full horror show is produced and edited by me grant letizia and we are actually on instagram you can follow us there you can also visit us at fullhorrorshow.com you can also email us at fullhorrorshow at gmail and finally we actually could use your help uh, if you can hear me and hear the sultry sound of my voice if you enjoyed this actually in any way um we have a mission for you why don't you leave us a rating on apple podcasts or just subscribe uh to wherever you listen to your podcasts because uh any subscription or any rating like that definitely helps us get the show out there to more people and we definitely appreciate it so until next time stay spooky my friends (laughs) 